You may be seated. Father God, that ultimately is our everything. We, we exist to connect people with each other and with you, and we do that so that we can build your kingdom here. We take very seriously that your, your kingdom on earth, or your kingdom in heaven, would fit very well here. <laughs> and everything we do is to make that kingdom appear more. So Father, help us to see the upside-downness of you. Help us to see where you're taking us. Help us to see what it looks like for your kingdom to descend on the earth. Help us to love the way that you love. Help us to accept the way that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's your phone, in case you were missing that. (laughs) Um, I'm excited. We just finished a series, and we're diving into a new series that we're going to do this fall uh, for a little while. I know it's not fall yet. I know. I put the decorations up. I know. I've already been texted or told or yelled at or chastised by 75 of you. There's not that many even here. Um, but we're going we're gonna to take this time right now. We're going to try to use this season of, I, I look at fall as kind of like winter. We look at everything as kind of just like dying, right? And it's, it, it, we know that death has to happen in order for spring to come. But fall is this transition from this, this time of just blasted heat into something that is changed. I, I just love it. When the first leaf falls, I'm ready for chili. I'm ready for stews. I'm ready for, for, for like not wearing flip-flops. Okay, I'll probably wear flip-flops at least till December, but there's just something about fall that just is ushering in this new time, and I love it. And so I thought it would be really good for us to take a look at why we're here as a church, not, not as an uppercase church. We already talked about that. It's to bring the kingdom here, but as connected, like why, why do we exist? And so we're going to take the next five weeks and we're going to go over our five core values. We, we mentioned these, we, uh, me and the mouse in my pocket, uh, about two months ago in a message, we kind of breezed over them, and several people are like, I think you need to do a series just on the core values. I said, okay, I could talk about that. It's kind of important to me. So we're going to take some time. We're going to talk about the five things that make us exist. But I want to start with, there are some of you that know this story of where we came from. Um, some of you have come since then and you have no idea why this church was even planted in 2003, why we exist today, why, why I mean, there's plenty of churches, why do we need another one, that, that kind of thing. So I just want to take some time and kind of just bring you to where we are. Um, there's one person in here that I know that remembers it very well. Uh, Joe was our graphic guy in the very beginning and we said, Joe, you reach out and you get the young people. That was his mission. 18 to 25-year-olds that we wanted to fill this place, 18 to 25-year-olds. So he, he sat behind his computer and Photoshopped the heck out of everything. And, I mean, it was amazing. This campaign, it was like you look at it and you're like, man, this is exactly what we're after. And we just knew we were going to get that next generation. Steve Pollard came in and he knew that he was going to be able to, to, to build this church of, of, at that time, they weren't even called millennials yet. But it was like this, this new generation that wasn't coming to church. So we were going to be that church. We were going to be the church that everyone wanted to come to. Our music was going to be loud. It was going to be edgy. It was going to be everything. And then about four months in, we had a lot of bikers. And we're like, uh, what went wrong with the branding? <laughs> we were supposed to get young people. And all of a sudden, you looked out, and I'm not even kidding you, there would be multiple rows of guys still in their colors showing up on a Sunday where you'd have... Hell's Angels and Mongols, and then like 
uh, Bikers for Christ and, uh, and, and uh, CMA people. It was just littered with it. Like it was just spotted all over the place. And then as we go, we keep going and we're like, we're keeping with this. It's going to work. We're going to get these 18 to 25-year-olds. Just keep, keep on, keep on, keep on. And then this weird thing happened. We were like a quarter of our congregation was homeless. And they, like literally, Highway Patrol would pick people up in Washoe Valley and bring them to our church on Sunday morning because they knew they'd get a hot, a hot cup of coffee and a donut at least. And, and so we're, all of a sudden now we have bikers and homeless. And we're like, this is exactly what we planned. <laughs> we're going to go with that now. And, and all, it just took this different shape and dif- different turn. It was, like, it was almost like the plans of man are okay, but the plans of God are much better. And, and we, we, we became this church where people were like, oh, you're messed up. You should go to Connected. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, and this is, this, is a, this is a true story. I'm not going to mention the church in town, but there was a pastor that I met with that we had our ministerial association. He goes, hey, we had, we had a couple at our church. They're really down. They, they're messed up. I told them to go to your church. <laughs> I'm like, bring it. <laughs> we'll take them. We will take them. And so our identity kind of shift, and we became this place of just grace. And, and that became what we modeled everything after. And then this weird thing started to happen where church people started to come. And there were some church people that were like burned from their other church and they, were, they hated church. They're like, we're going to go to Connected. We hear they don't really do church there. So we're going to go there. But then we got like this, this, this lady who is one of my favorite ladies of all time. Her name is Nancy Tiffany. And she, she, she worked for parole and probation at the time. And so you can imagine what happened when Nancy came to church for the first time and saw most of her clients here. Uh, but she, she, there was a Sunday, an Easter Sunday, and I remember looking out over the congregation. This is when we were back on the Mallory property. And I remember looking out, and there was Hell's Angels on one side, Mongols on one side, and Nancy was right in the middle with gloves and a bonnet on. And I'm like, this is, and then we had a guy named Matt who had about a three-foot mohawk, and he was sitting in the front. And I'm looking out, and I'm, T-Bone, were you here then? You might have been here then too. And it was like this, this looking out and going, this is heaven. Like, this is exactly what the kingdom's going to look like. It's going to be so jacked up with people that you can't even imagine are ever going to be welcomed in. And, and you're going to, you, I, I, I promise you, most of us are going to walk in there and we're going to go, how'd you get in? <laughs> and they're going to go, I was thinking the same thing about you. And this is going to be what happens. Like, this idea that we have it all. And so, all of a sudden, the identity and the, and, and, and the culture of connected is kind of tra- changed to this place that, we really are going to be a church for everyone. Like, how does that work? I don't know. Because it goes against everything that you learn about in church growth and, and, and in starting a church because you're supposed to have a target audience. Well, our target audience was everyone. <laughs> so we had no way to really hone in the target. So we just became this like shotgun church. We're, we're using birdshot, not rifle ammo, because we're just, I mean, it's just like we're just going to exist. And then we just started embracing this idea of connecting people with God and with each other. Connecting people with God with each other. How do we do that? How does everything push toward that? And we started asking, how do we make people that do not... Look, even today, it's less today. But back then, you could look out and go, there is no way we would get this group gathered in a room except for Jesus. That's the only way it's ever going to happen. And, and there's still some of you today that I wouldn't hang out with if it wasn't for Jesus. <laughs> just being honest. No, Shad, I'd hang out with you all day long. 
But there's this, there's this thing that happened and we just said, we're just going to start connecting. Everything we do, we're going to just start connecting. We're going to start plugging people in. We're going to start fake, making these relationships. We're going to start just being who we are. And then this thing happened where we took on this identity of like, and let's be real about it. Let's not come to church and act like everything was okay. Let, let, let's make it a place where families can walk in the door and still be fighting. <laughs> you know, not just in the car on the way to church. And then like the mom stops and you're like, okay, you guys get on your best behavior. We're going in now. Smile and walk in, be quiet. No, we want to be a place where you're still fighting in the door. Because we want to be a place that this is real. Who are you? Bring, bring your stuff. Bring your garbage. Bring your doubt. Bring your everything into this place and let this place introduce you to someone that can handle it. Not me. Jesus. Let this be a place where you learn about the sovereignty of God is bigger than all of your circumstances that you bring in with you. Let this be a place that you can rest, even for an hour, where you just get to unplug and go, oh, at least now I can breathe for a little while. And that became everything we did. And I'm just going to be real honest with you. I, I talked a little bit about that last week, but then, then we kind of exploded. And, uh, and, and Steve uh, resigned, not because of any scandal or anything. He just, he was ready to move on and do something else. And, and so now there's this pastor that is a youth pastor that's now told that he's going to be in the senior pastor. And I'm like, I'm not a senior pastor. I'm not nearly old enough. Now I can't say that anymore. But like all of a sudden, this whole thing became crazy. And then someone decided to be cool to burn our church down. And then it got real hard. Um, because some of you know you've been here a while. Administration is not my strong suit um, by any means. And there was a lot of administrative paperwork during that time. And then we moved into a new building and all this stuff, and it was still crazy. And, and, I, and I, I just I got, I got so burnt out that I was like, I'm out. I, I cannot do this anymore. I'm going back to youth ministry. That's what God... I used to say phrases like, God called me to die with a Bible in one hand and a volleyball in the other hand. And I, I still don't think it's untrue. Um, it's just different now. We, we had this time where I was like, I'm, and then we, we, Julie and I moved to Chico, and we were there for four years, and the greatest phone call ever, the text came, it said, you should come back, and we're like, all right, uh, we can't pay you, okay, let's just give this a shot, and so I took a job at Jack in the Box, Julie was working at Starbucks, and uh, we just came back, and then it became this challenge where I met with someone that had been a mentor of mine in the past, and he said, okay, but what are you going to do? What, what's your goal? What's your mission? What, what are you out to do? And I said, I just want to be a church where everyone can come. And he said, that's not going to work. You've got you to you hone that in. And I said, I don't want to hone that in. And he said, well, I don't think I can come to your church. And I'm like, all right. See ya. And, and just this whole idea that we are going to exist for everyone. And it's going to be a place that we want everyone to feel like they can come in and no one feels like, it's not, don't get me wrong, I love the fact that I wear shorts and flip-flops up here. It makes me happy uh, that I can just wear what I wear on Monday to Sunday. Um, the funny thing is, on, if, you, if you want to, Christmas Eve and Easter, I will wear a suit. Um, and I, I get more complaints about that than I do about wearing shorts and flip-flops, which is funny. Um, but it's, we want this to be a place that no one has to feel like they've got to fix it up. They, they, they've got to be fixed up. We had those signs all over the building before that said no perfect people allowed, and we mean it. Like, this is not, if you're perfect, you need to find a different church because we don't want to offset the, the status quo here. 
because we're messed up people, led, led by messed up people. So you're in good company, most of you. I know you are. So as we do this, and as we came back, and, and as I started thinking about what we're going to be, what's our identity going to be, these five core values are all over. These, these are not unique to Connected. These are, if you did a Google search, you would see a lot of churches have somewhat of the same kind of core values. But they're so based in scripture that why reinvent the wheel? And, and we've tweaked them a little bit to fit us and to fit where we are. And, and the words around them um, fit us in our context. But uh, for the most part, these are not new things. And I'm going to say this. If there was ever a time to use the note section in your bulletin, those of you that never grab a bulletin, there's a note section in there, um, just to write some of these down because these are, these are our heartbeat. When you come to us with an idea and you say, I have this great idea, let's do this. And I say, you know what, that is a good idea, but we're not going to do it. And you're like, well, why not? These five things are why not. The, everything we do is held up against the connecting people with God and each other. If it doesn't do that, we're not going to do it. And these five core values we're going to study for the next five weeks. So today we're going to talk about one that is very important. Um, this is one that probably shouldn't be first, but I'm not much of a rule follower in that way. I just do whatever I want. Uh, we're going to talk about reach. Our first core value is reach. And reach is a fancy word for evangelism or inviting or that kind of thing. Like, how do we, how do we go about bringing people in to a church? It, it's not an easy thing. It's not something that we, that, that we like to do. So we want to, we, we don't do this, and, and, I, and I really do mean this, and I know this is what pastors are supposed to say. We don't do this because we want our church to be bigger. You don't invite people because you want our church to be bigger. That's not why we do it. it, it we, look, uh, I'll just be real honest. The more people, the harder my job is. You know, so <laughs> we don't do it because we want to just be bigger. That's not the core value. That's not the reason why we do it. We don't do it because we're supposed to invite people. Have you ever felt like that before? Like when, when you're part of an organization, part of something, and you feel like your job is to be the inviter? And so everything becomes so weird and fabricated that you're like looking for an opportunity to invite someone. They're like, man, you should have seen it. We were at the football game on Sunday and there were so many people there cheering and going crazy and your job's like, well, you know, if you would put that much effort into going to church, then that's just how you act. And then you all of a sudden, you're noticing people don't like to hang out with you. That, that's why right? So we don't do it because we're supposed to. It's not an obligation. We talk about inviting the same way we talk about giving. I don't want you to give out of obligation. I want you to give out of an overflow joy of your heart because you've been blessed by God and you trust him in everything that you have. So, that, so this is the same thing. We don't, we don't invite because we're supposed to invite. We also don't invite people because we think there's something wrong with them. That's very important. If you engage in a conversation with them assuming there's something wrong with them, you're not going to have a good relationship. You, you can't go in automatically going, oh man, you are jacked up. I got a place for you. Because I, you know what? You go there too. So you're invited into the place that you go because you're jacked up. We, we cannot go in thinking that we're going to fix everyone, right? We go with this idea that maybe something will be, will be there and they'll be able to grow from it. So these, those are the reasons why we don't invite. We don't, we don't invite because we want to be bigger. We don't invite because... Uh, we're supposed to, and we don't invite because we assume that there's something wrong with everyone. Here's why we do invite. I want to invite, and I want you to invite people to church because Jesus makes our lives better, and he makes us live better. 
Jesus makes our lives better, and he makes us have a better life. I, maybe not for you. Maybe you have a different story. But I'm telling you right now, I, I know who I was. And I know who I am now. I'm better now. And it's not because I married the right woman. She did bring me to church. So it's kind of because of that. That's not why, though. It's because of the surrendering of my life to something bigger than me. It's about that wanting the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. It's that that wanting to see people impacted by Jesus in a way that is just out of control bananas and then hearing their stories of change because of what Jesus did. Jesus makes our life better and pulls us to live better. That's why I want to invite someone. I don't want to go up to someone and say, you are the worst person I've ever met. You need Jesus. Come to my church. No, I want to say to them, look, life is tough. And I, I, think, I think I know something that you need to know. Because I'm jacked up. We're jacked up. Let's all be jacked up together. And we invite because we want to. We know the power of Jesus. The scripture that we use to back up this particular uh, uh, core value is in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, you, if you've been in church for a while, you've heard this is the Great Commission. The Great Commission simply says this, Matthew 28, chapter six, or verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to you, given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is important to us because it says in all the nations. This does not say, make sure you go to the people that are like you and tell them about Jesus. This is, this is a charge to go out to all the nations and invite them to something that is bigger than them. To invite them to this person, this, 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 this God that has changed your life first. And that's why, I mean, I loved that, that, that Nicole talked about this idea, the power of story. Because we, t- we talk about that here all the time. That you all have a story and the best way you can share Jesus is through your story because no one can argue with that. You can come with all the facts and, and all the, the apologetics and, and all the great stuff that you have and all the, the, the liturgy and everything. And you can tell that, but someone can just go, yeah, but I don't believe the Bible. And all of a sudden your argument's like, oh, well, that's my authority. Well, it's not mine. Okay, you're done. Unless you're sharing what God has done for you in your life, they can't argue with that. That's your experience. That's your story. So we tell our stories because we tell where we've come from and where we are now. And so when Jesus says to go out in all the earth and preach this thing, he's not just saying to make sure you have all the right words. He's saying that even you that grew up in the church and never strayed away and that always did the right thing and married a Christian and now you have Christian kids and everything is Christian and everything you've ever done is Christian. You've never once doubted. You've walked in. That's a powerful story. You feel like it's not because the church doesn't honor those stories. The church honors the stories of the drug addicts that have been redeemed. But that story is just as good, and you tell that story because it's your story, and God has given you that story to make sure that everyone hears it. And that is how we begin to invite. We begin in a place where we are together, we are the same, and I need you, to t- I, you need to know where I've come from, and here's where I've come from, and this is how. And we invite from a place like that. This is how Jesus did it. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets this woman at a well, a Samaritan woman. Now, the, the funny thing about this is that it, I, I have the scripture up there. It, it's a long section. So if you want, it's John chapter 4, verses 5 through 42. I'm not going to read it all. 
John chapter 4, verses uh, 5 through 42, if you want to go home and read it. But this says, it starts out with this, that Jesus was tired, and so he went and sat by a well at noon. Okay? So here's what happened. Jesus was tired. So he went to a place where no one was going to be. No one goes to the well at noon. They go to the well in the morning. So Jesus went to a place where he could sit down and just take a break while the disciples went and did their thing. Jesus gets to the well, and here comes a Samaritan woman. Nobody goes to the well at noon, and she knew that too. She was a social outcast. She was marked unclean. And so she was getting her water when no one else would be there. And so she gets, she's also trying to go where no one will see her. And I can't even imagine what happened to this woman when she walks up and she sees a rabbi sitting by a well. She would have known. He would have had the tassels. He would have had the, the, the robe. She would, he would have looked like a rabbi. And so she walks up and Jesus says, can you get me something to drink? He doesn't say, you ghastly, gross Samaritan woman. Back away from me until I'm done resting. He enters into a conversation that is very, very easy and almost vulnerable with her. Can you get me something to drink? Now, first of all, as a rabbi, he shouldn't have been talking to a woman anyway, Jewish or Samaritan. That, that was completely uh, no way, not okay. But then to add the Samaritan aspect of it, she wouldn't want to speak to him either. And all of a sudden, this conversation begins. This, this new thing happens, and everything becomes different in her life. She starts to have this conversation with Jesus, and, and, and Jesus says, hey, go get your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus goes, aha, because he's Jewish. Get it? All right. He says, he says, you're right. In fact, you've had five husbands. The man you're living with right now is not even your husband. And she's like, whoa. See, here's what's amazing about that. Jesus already knew her stuff. Jesus already knew the load she was carrying, sneaking off to the well in midday. He already knew that, and he still engaged her in a conversation. He's still the one that began that conversation, even with all the garbage that she brought, even with the social norms, the, the social norms he was breaking. Everything was wrong with this. He knew where she came from, and he said, hey, you and I, we're going to talk right now. We're going to have a conversation. All the stuff you're bringing in, bring it. I already know about it. How often do we forget that the stuff that we bring in on Sunday mornings or the stuff we wake up with Tuesday mornings is stuff that Jesus already knows about, but yet we're like, I'm going to keep that secret. If I confess it, Jesus will know. He already knows. He's got it. It's there. Live it. Lean into that. Because you know how it gets fixed? By leaning into it. By, by going, you know what? This is jacked up. I'm, I'm messed up. I just, I, I better confess this and get it out there. Because sin has a hard time growing in the light. But you keep it in the dark and you're not going to be able to manage it. It's going to get out of control. And so Jesus says to this woman right away, hey, I know who you are. I know what you've done. But I want to offer you something that is bigger than you can possibly imagine. You're thirsty. You come to the well to drink water. I want to give you the opportunity to have this living water. And if you drink it, you will never thirst again. This is why we invite people to church. And you know what? I don't care if you invite people to, to Connected, to, to Fountainhead, to Calvary, to LifePoint. I don't care. If you know someone that when they walk in, that you just, you just know them well enough that they don't like people in flip-flops, 
go with them to another church. Just get them to another get them plugged in somewhere where they're going to hear about Jesus, where they're going to hear about this living water, where their life is, has the opportunity to be changed by something that you can't even possibly explain, because that's what Jesus is. He's unexplainable. Jesus is better experienced than he is explained. Because if you try to explain Jesus to people, you are never going to come up with the right words. And if you can come up with the right words to describe Jesus to people, I'm going to challenge you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Because there's something not deep enough. Because if you can just explain it all away and you can make sense of it, I challenge you to go deeper. Because you need to get to a place where you just go, I, I, what? You should be in a place of awe when you talk about Jesus. Because Jesus is better experienced than he is explained. And so as you just invite people in, you're inviting them because, look, I know you've got stuff. The God that I serve knows you have stuff. And you know what? If you're an atheist, that's cool too. It it doesn't matter. You're welcome. You need to come. You need to come and at least hear this and be around this. And we would love for that to be here. But I'm telling you right now, I, I have not out of spite. I have told people they will fit better at different churches. I am friends with a lot of the pastors in this valley, like not just colleagues, like friends with them. And we talk about the struggles that we're going through. And I know, I, I know that if somebody comes and they hear my message and they're like, you know, I really prefer a church that just kind of goes verse by verse through the Bible. I'm going to say, this is Pat Propster's number. You need to call him at Calvary. You will fit very well there because it's what they do. Not because I want to get rid of you. I want you to be plugged in somewhere where you're going to grow, where you're going to thrive, where you're going to meet Jesus and he's going to change your life. That may not be here. I would ask that you don't decide that like six years down the road because it kind of hurts my feelings. But, um, <laughs> but there's a place that you're going to land where Jesus is going to speak your language and you are going to be changed by that message. We, we have, we, I have a saying that I like to say all the time that I don't like the word lost for, non, for people that aren't Christians or non-believers, that kind of thing. I like to call them pre-believers. Um, and, and, and I think if, if, if a pre-believer lands in the right church, it's like a blind man walking around the minefield. Sooner or later, they're going to step on a mine. Sooner or later, Jesus is going to get a hold of their heart. And it's going to change everything. It's going to change it. This is why we invite. We don't invite because we want to be the biggest church in Carson. We don't invite because we want to have more volunteers in the nursery. We kind of sometimes invite that way. But uh, we don't invite because we want the best programs. We invite because we know Jesus can change people's lives because he's done it for us. And we use our story to convey that. There was a book that came out um, a few years ago. It's called The Power of Habit. Great book. Phenomenal book. If you want information about it, I'd love to get it for you. It's, it's about a psychology of, of how we live our lives. And, and it goes into like advertising and stuff like that. And the author of the book talks about these things called cues. And he says, every habit is based on a cue. You have a cue that, not a line, not, not like your Netflix cue. But like something that happens and triggers your mind to think, oh, I'm going to do that. So it could be like uh, maybe every time you get back from work, you, you've programmed yourself to eat a chocolate cake. It's very healthy of you. Uh, so the cue is when you walk in after work, you're like, oh, I want cake. I don't even know why I want cake, but I want cake. So there's these different cues that take place. Maybe it's every time your alarm clock goes off, you automatically hit snooze. So the alarm clock is your cue. And your habit is hitting snooze. And so we want to be a church that is motivated by cues. And how we do that is be by, by just listening. 
Jesus didn't go out searching for this woman, but what he did is he searched for cues. Jesus and his disciples had these cues that took place. Jesus knew what it was like to come across people that needed him. Whenever somebody, here's a good cue for Jesus. Son of David, heal me. What can I do? Jesus would show up, right? And he would say things like, he would, that wasn't a cue for healing, but it was a cue for relationship. And so he would walk up and he'd say, do you want to be well? Sometimes. Sometimes he would touch. Sometimes he would just do it from afar. Sometimes he'd spit on his hands and rub it in their face. But the cue was always, this is time for a conversation. And whenever he heard desperation, he knew it was time for conversation. Even when that woman touched his, touched his tassel in Luke 8, even then Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples are like, Lord, there are so many people around you. You know, I need to have a conversation. I need to look at this woman and tell her she's been forgiven. This needs to happen. So our cues are very important to us. And I think that if we, if we just focused in on a few, just, uh, so we talked about why we invite, this is how we invite. Okay, this is how we reach out to people that, are, uh, that, that need this Jesus, that, that need to be a part of a, of, a, of a family, of a gathering. And so our cue, the cue that I've been embracing for a while, this is not mine again, this is Andy Stanley's model, and it's brilliant, and I think it works everywhere you go. He talks about what the, he calls the three knots. The three knots, not like tied knots, like N-O-T-S, right? The, the three knots of reaching out to someone. The first one is this. When you hear someone say, this is not going well. It, it could be in their job. It could be in their family. It could be in a marriage. It could be anything. This is not going well. When you hear that not going well, this is a, this is this, hopefully this will become a cue for you to go, tell me more about that. What do you mean it's not going well? And all of a sudden, now you've entered into this conversation with them. And maybe it's about, I just, I'm lonely. I can't find anyone to be, like, I, I, there's nothing going on. And all of a sudden, you have this avenue that goes, you know what? Would you just come with me to church on Sunday? Not, 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 here's my church. I go to Connected. I'll see you at 10. That's not the invitation. The invitation is, would you like to go to church with me on Sunday? I can pick you up. JJ will take you to lunch. <laughs> That's just the reason I get to go to lunch if that happens. So, uh, but you invite them to go with you as part of your group, not just oh, see me there. Things are not going well. It's just, I thought it was going to be good. It's just not. It's not going well. That's the first knot. The second knot is when they say something like, I was not prepared for this. I, I had no idea what I was getting into. We, I, I met Lindsay through this whole uh, adoption process, right? We were at a birthday party for a joint foster child who was going from one home to another home that we were friends with, and, we, and, and that's where we met. And I'm sure there have been times where he, her and her husband both went, we're not prepared for this. Guess what? You're not prepared for this. D just like every single parent in here, you are not prepared to have kids. Do you guys remember, those of you that have had kids, how awesome it was at the hospital? That was the coolest thing in the world. Do you know why? Because a nurse came in and was like, would you like us to take the baby to the nursery? <laughs> yep. <laughs> that would be awesome. And you sleep. And then all of a sudden you go home. And, and you remember the person, the nurse and the doctor and everybody. I, I, apparently shaking babies is not a good because everybody tells you not to do it. And so when you get home and that baby just keeps crying and you're like, I'm so tired. And I'm so, like, I don't, did they say to shake it or not? I can't even remember at this point. And, and you're just like, I don't even know what to do. And, and then all of a sudden, you, you, you get them to go to sleep, and you're like, oh. 
and you put them down, and they start crying again. You're never prepared for it. There's never a time that you're prepared. But there are people that have the same story as you. I love when Lindsay was sharing up here and talking about the struggles of infertility, knowing the people that are sitting right here in this room that have struggled with the same thing. And when you live in yourself and you never hear or give that story away, you never get to see God work in the lives of those that have had the same thing. And so as we begin to do that, I'm not prepared for this. Marriage. I wasn't prepared for my husband to be deployed. I wasn't prepared for my wife to take a CEO job. I didn't know what that would look like. I wasn't prepared. I'm not prepared for this. And as you enter into conversation and life with those people, you can say you're not prepared. But you know what? I know a place where there are a bunch of unprepared people (laughs) that are just trying their best to prepare people. So the first one, this is not going well. The second one, I'm not prepared for this. And this one's an easy one. This one's very easy. It's, I'm not going to church. Or, I'm not from here. Those two kind of run together. If you meet someone at the grocery store that's not from here, that just moved here, chances are, unless they're a pastor's family that just moved here to take a church, they haven't found a church yet. And so when you hear, well, I'm not even from here. Or it happens all the time. You know how you can tell if you're driving on the west side of town, you know how you tell people aren't from here? They stop at every intersection. Even if there's not a stop sign, they still stop. And so I just want to get out of the car and say, you're not from here, are you? Tell, no, sh- don't, don't do that. Nevada is still an open carry state. Um, but there's this, 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 this thing that happens when someone's not from here, and you can engage them and go, oh, I, so some of you, most of you are transplants, right? And you can say, I remember when I moved here, it was weird. Especially Carson kind of is a town that is like, very hard to get into groups because they've stayed and they're so solid and they're so, they've been friends forever or they have their, their parents here. And, and so it's really hard to get friend groups in, unless you have a place that you could go to once a week where you meet like-minded people and, and, and you get together and then all of a sudden maybe you start a small group of people that meet at your house. I don't know a place that would be like that, but if there was a place like that, it'd be very convenient to be able to invite people that aren't from here too and say, you know what? It's tough. This is a tough city to penetrate and, and to, get, to get friend groups. But I know, just, why don't you come this Sunday? Just come this Sunday. I'm not really a church person. That's fine. Just come this Sunday and see. Just, at least you'll get to meet two or three people and you may see them again later on. And at least you'll be plugged in somewhere. I'm not from here or I don't already, I'm not part of a church. Those, those three knots, the, the, uh, it's not going well, I'm not prepared or I'm not from here. Those three cues, if we can train ourselves to be, to just our, our, have a keystone habit of invite when you hear those things. When you hear those things, you get into invite mode and you just, you're bringing a place where they can fall, a place they can land, a place that they can be safe, a place that is offering this idea of this crazy hope that you can't explain they have to experience. And so we invite because of those things. And if we're, if we're paying attention, I promise you, because here's the biggest thing, right? Who do we invite? Like, do we just walk through the store and invite everyone? You can. Right? That would be kind of fun, actually. If you do that, will you video it? You can, you can go on Saturdays like, like Lynn does and pass out tracks in Reno. You can do that. But I promise you this. If you're paying attention, the cues will tell you the who. When you hear those things at the grocery store, 
in the grocery line. If you're behind someone that has like four items and then all of a sudden you hear this thing about they, 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 they don't have any, or uh, here's a true story um, of, of someone at a grocery store who just moved to the area. And it, look, and this is not a saintly story, so don't like put me on a pedestal. They literally only had like four things and it wasn't very expensive, but they, they just moved to the area and they, their bank had frozen their debit card because they were from like, I think they're from Arkansas and they just moved here and there were tons of expenses on their, on their card. So the bank froze their card because they thought somebody had stolen their card. And so they get to the checkout stand and they, they try to buy these things and their card's not working. And I just simply said, let me get that because it, was, it wasn't a lot. I wouldn't have said it if it was a full turntable. Uh, but I was like, I was, just let, me, let me get that. And I should have known, right? Because we, we had, a, oh, oh, thanks, man. I just moved here. Well, this was pre knots What a great way to go. Oh, you did? Do you have a church? I, I remember walking by the uh, Borderwick one day, and we came across this family that was, a, they were a young family with a ton of kids. And I remember stopping and saying to them, uh, we just talked, and they, they just moved from Kentucky. Um, and we said, oh, from Kentucky, this is easy. That's the Bible Belt. You got a church? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, actually we do. And we're like, oh, that's great. I, I, we're really glad, you know. But it was that, the whole idea of just, just trying to find those cues and then acting on those cues to invite because we want people to be tied in to the same God that has saved us. When Jesus talked with this woman, at the end of the conversation, he said to her, go back home. And she told everyone. Now, she explained Jesus to them. She said, there was a man at the well who knew everything I'd ever done. And they said, what? And then he, Jesus stayed, because why? They brought, she brought the people to him. And then they said this. They said, we now believe because we have seen, not just because of what you have said. Our job is just to go and say, there was a man who knew everything about me. He has changed me completely. You need to experience that. You need to have this idea, this hope that comes and just changes your life. And you know what? This is something I promise you. It might take you 17 years in this building to find Jesus. That's okay. We're never going to treat you differently. We're never going to try to rush your timetable. We're going to let the Holy Spirit... There's a reason why Paul uses the illustration of botanicals, like growing as, as this idea of Christian faith, because growing takes a long time. And sometimes if you're in Nevada, you can't even plant until growing season's over in California. You just don't know how long that's going to take. And, and we're just going to let you grow. We're going to let you feed into that. We're going to let you be here. And you know what? We're going to do the weirdest thing that Christians do. We're going to love on you. It's the weirdest phrase ever. Only in church do you hear that phrase. Never at work is like, yeah, we have an employee that's kind of sick. We're going to love on him. That would freak you out anywhere out of the church. But we use this phrase because it really is. It's what we want to do. We want to shower you with love. We want to be there for you. We want to journey with you. We want to grow with you and challenge you and just watch you grow into something that's not who you were before. And so, yes, we are going to love on you. And it's going to be a place that you can fall short and that you can pick yourself up again with people helping you up. That's, that's why we invite. Not for any other reason. And so when our core value is reach, we want you to reach because the thing that you're reaching out is the hand of Jesus and not just your hand. That's what the reach is. It's, it's Jesus' hand that you get to be to bring people into a relationship that will literally change their lives. The band's going to come up and we're going to move into connecting time. Sorry, kids. This is going to be a short one, but sometimes. 
Um, you can't say yay, it's already been a long one. Um, we're going to go into connecting time. If you're new with us, connecting time is, is uh, just a time that we set aside for Jesus to be able to move, to be able to do things. We, we think that there is a, this amazing thing that happens hearing the word, but there's also an amazing thing that happens when you react to the word. And so we have stations around um, 